You're listening to The Real Health Podcast by Ebony May. Those days are going to happen and you can either allow that to push you into extremes and go, all right, I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to just change my entire life and just all I have to do right now is lose weight. Or you can accept that bad body image days are just a part of living in this society and that it's not your responsibility to look perfect from every angle. It is actually not your purpose in life to look beautiful all the time, to be this perfect weight. Once you can kind of accept that your life is so much bigger than looking perfect all the time, then I think you can move forward. Happy Friday, Real Health family. I'm so pumped that you have this interview in your ears today. Today is an interview with Lindy Cohen, also known by her Instagram handle, Nude Nutritionist. Lindy is a dietitian, TV nutritionist, author and hater of diets, Photoshop and BS. Lindy helps others get healthy without becoming obsessed or spending millions on weird superfoods. In this interview, Lindy chats why we don't need detox products, body image and the concept of becoming body neutral, our culture's obsession with the thin ideal and Photoshop, and her advice to those starting out within the health and wellness industry. I so loved chatting with Lindy and I really look up to her as a positive role model within the nutrition space and I cannot wait for you to hear all that she has to say. Here is my interview with Lindy Cohen. Lindy, welcome to The Real Health Podcast. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I, Like I said before we started recording, I'm fangirling hard. It is an absolute honor to interview you because I went into this industry a little bit naive. There's a lot of toxic energy in this industry. So I would love to just thank you firstly for being such a positive role model in this industry. Oh, I'm honoured, deeply honoured. Thanks. It's so good to be on the show. I ask every single guest the first question and I can't wait to hear your answer. It is, what does real health mean to you? Yeah, it's such a good question. So I think in the wellness industry, we have this idea that health has a look. It's got a size and probably it's a slim girl with a really perfect body. She's got visible abs, you never see cellulite, you never see like, you know, an arm that looks too squished and wide. Um, Everything's quite sculpted and pretty perfect. And we've come to associate health with being this picture. But real health has got nothing to do with that. Real health is, is about having the energy to do the things you love. It's about falling asleep at night easily and having great quality sleep. It's about having your mood that feels stable and and you feel in control of your life. It's when your hormones are in balance. It's when you can go to the toilet and it's all just, it's all good. It doesn't control your life. You don't have to like (laughs) adjust your life based on where the nearest toilet is. Health is so many of these things. And I think we get so, we've gotten so far away from this. Um, the wellness industry has kind of made it so hard for any of us to ever feel like we're in a place of, of true wellness. Um, I, I have to say, sometimes, so I don't know if anyone listening has actually seen what I look like, but I'm just, I'm a very normal, normal, I say normal sized girl. I'm just, I'm never going to be slim. Um, that's just, I'm not, I'm not ever going to be tiny. But I think there are heaps of people who often comment on my Instagram or my YouTube and be like, you don't look very healthy. 
And I think that just really reinforces to me this idea that we have so equated health with being super slim. Um, even though I am just like, if you ask me, I, I rate my, my, my health as excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so real health is, is not a look, it's a feeling. Mm. Oh, I love that so, so much. And I, I will definitely dive into the connotation that society has formed between health and aesthetics because I think it's just everywhere and it's only becoming more prevalent. I think there's obviously movement to change that, but I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done. But yeah, I totally agree with everything that you just said. So the next thing I ask is, well, the next segment is the real recap. So can you give me a little summary of how your last seven days have been? um okay so I'm pregnant at the moment so uh, (laughs) I am I'm I'm growing a baby and the baby's getting pretty big so the baby's kicking a lot at the moment so I'll wake up in the morning and the baby's kicking and it's really fun um I like to have a bath every single day I like to exercise every day that's really for my mental health so I'll have a little puppy as well so I'll take my puppy out in the morning for an hour and she has to run around and I really do a slow walk. I mean, really, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just getting, getting through it. Um, I do Pilates as well, which I love. I've been cooking a lot. I've got a, a vegetable garden at the moment because it's spring. So I've just planted all my new vegetables. I've got like 16 tomato bushes. It's, it's excessive guys. Like <laughs> no one needs that much tomato in their life except for me. And I'm deeply excited about it. So that's kind of what my day looks like, um, you know, with a whole lot of work in between, which is like creating recipes or um, creating videos, helping people with my app, my program, all that kind of stuff. So it's been a really good seven days. That is veggie garden goals. <laughs> Seriously, it brings me so much joy. <laughs> I cannot wait until I have my own house and I have a veggie garden. Literally, yeah. when I walk past people's veggie gardens, I just stand there and just really admire it. My boyfriend loves looking at people's lawns like, oh, that's a really nice lawn. And I like looking at their veggie garden. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you guys are going to have an epic garden one day. <laughs> okay, the next question I like to ask is what stage of life are you in? So this can be defined as the season or just the type of phase of life that you're in. I know you said before we got on, uh, before we started recording, there's a lot going on right now, but how would you best describe your stage of life? I'm in a bit of a transitional stage of life at the moment because I'm moving, I'm, I'm 30 now, and I'm moving away from, you know, the 20s and everything that was just very independent living. Um, and I finally feel like just about to have a baby, I feel like I am the most sorted I've ever been in my life. So I'm like, my life's not perfect in any way. Um, but I feel like I'm very adult. <laughs> Maybe it's the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm not drinking any alcohol and I haven't been for the past six months. So it's, I think there is something, I don't think I really appreciated how much um, alcohol can create dips in your mood and create a sense of instability. Um, and, and I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of all or nothing when it comes to anything, but I guess being pregnant is the first time since I'm what, realistically like 15 where I, you know, alcohol hasn't been a part of my life. And I'm not saying I'm a big drinker when I drink, I'm, I'm really not, but I might have a glass of wine with my family or, um, on the weekend have a couple of drinks. Um, but I just, I just think that's kind of interesting. So I guess that I'm in a transitional yet really stable um, anxiety-free time of my life. And I'm just really, really enjoying it. 
enjoying the calm before the storm that is having a child. That is so exciting and really interesting too. Do you think that your relationship, not that you said you didn't drink that much, but do you think that you will drink even less after pregnancy? Yeah. I mean, I so I was diagnosed with clinical anxiety in 2011. So that's what, nine years ago. And I always just assumed that this was a part of who I am. And it's weird because I never thought, oh, I'm an intrinsically anxious human. I actually don't. I think I'm quite a low-key, chilled kind of person. Um, yet anxiety was has has been such a huge part of my life for so many years. And oh, this the tricky thing about anxiety, right? Is is it's this very silent thing. You walk around in this like agitated state. Sometimes you don't even realize you're anxious um, until you get some weird symptoms. Like sometimes you can get like eczema or dermatitis. That like okay, all right, that's a bit of a a stress response. Or you you might my sleep would be really you know broken so I wouldn't fall asleep for about three hours each night just lying in bed tossing and turning um or it just it's just this low level sense of anxiety that follows you around your entire life so I've really had that for many years now and I think it's really common to have anxiety and I think it's I guess our generation's thing that we're we're working through and I think it's contributed by social media. Um, I, I took like a three-month hiatus of social media and I can't tell you how much better I felt. Um, but with the alcohol as well, I, I think I underestimated how much that would influence me. So I do think I'm going to drink less after I have the baby. Um, I don't believe in cutting out anything. So I don't think I'm ever going to be one of those people who says, oh, I just don't drink. But I think there becomes a choice. I'm always going to give myself permission to drink alcohol, but then it suddenly becomes, okay, but do I really feel like it? Is this something I want? And um, I feel like after this time of not drinking alcohol, I'm going to be able to choose no. Um, mm. I think this is what happens with food as well. When we when we don't allow ourselves to have certain foods, we definitely crave it more. We know that. Um, and so it always has to be a choice. Do I really, am, you know, I'm allowed to eat this. Do I really feel like eating this? That has to be a question in your life. And as long as you feel like you can't eat something, you're still going to crave it. And it's the same thing with alcohol. Mm, I find that really interesting. I do think that alcohol has that added added aspect that a lot of food doesn't because it's such a societal thing. It's such a when you when you gather with friends, mm. it it's not that weird if you only eat some of the food. But I think everyone's always going to say, "Oh, can I get you a drink when you come into the party?" Oh, what are you drinking? And I've noticed the same. I I think it's been over a year since I drank alcohol, and I I didn't ever say, "Okay, guys, I'm going sober" or anything like that. And I never had a drinking problem. But I just I think after you, after I left that college phase where it was expected to drink, I just began because I just I don't really like it. So it just began making that choice every single time and now it's kind of a no-brainer to me and how do you get around the whole societal pressure to drink alcohol so when you turn up to a party do people just know that you don't drink that much or don't drink at all anymore yeah I mean <laughs> I'm in Melbourne stage for lockdown so at the moment <laughs> it's just my boyfriend who's like do you want a red wine and I'm like no thank you um yeah it's it's a mixture of both I think this at the start it was more so I'm a very family person so I was around family I would always get offered drinks and and now yeah people just know that I don't I don't really want one um and I was never a big drinker before that either so it was never like oh my goodness what Ebony doesn't want to drink but yeah, I've just gotten used to it. And I think my friends as well. I think there was actually a bit of a change. And I want to do a separate podcast on this because I think it's interesting. There was a few friends stopped inviting me to certain things because they knew I didn't drink. 
And when they when they would message me about, oh, like, oh, I didn't invite you only because I know you don't like drinking. I'm like, yeah, but I love dancing. Like, I'll come out and I'll have a good dance. Like, I'll have a good boogie. I think we so we have struck such a strong connotation between drinking and having a good time, which I think is really sad because I'll still get on the dance floor and have a great time. Yes, majority of the time I'm in bed before 8 p.m. because I'm a total grandma, but I'd still go and have a good time. <laughs> it's sad that that happens, but I think that is, I think it's, that's a very Australian thing to happen. We have quite, we have a bit of a binge relationship with alcohol. Um, and speaking of binging, I think that I know that binge eating um, is definitely related to alcohol. So many people, so many of my clients will say to me, um, I can feel quite in control around food. And then as soon as I drink alcohol, um, it leads to these really big binges. And it's not just while you're drunk or tipsy, it's the day afterwards as well, where you either feel low because alcohol is a depressant. So it makes you feel low in energy, makes you feel low in mood, regret things that you've done. Um, and then it can just, it can lead to, you know, eating stuff that doesn't make you feel good in your body. So I think it's more than just, it's quite a complicated relationship we have with alcohol. Um, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole meaty topic, but if you're maybe thinking about maybe how healthy is your relationship with alcohol? I don't know. I'm definitely rethinking that for myself. Mm, I think that it's expected. It's almost like that stereotype, having a big night, going to McDonald's and then waking up next morning and getting KFC. That's such an Australian, like typical thing. And that's totally accepted. Nobody thinks, oh, that's not very healthy. It's like, oh, of course you're getting KFC the next morning because you had a big night and you're hungover. It's almost like we live out those stereotypes. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's change that. (laughs) A lot of people listening will be very familiar with who you are, but for those who aren't, can you just give us a little elevator pitch of who you are and what your work is? Okay. Hey, I'm Lindy Cohen. I'm a dietitian. I'm a nutritionist. I'm an author. Um, And really, I just think there's a whole lot of wellness wankery around the place, and I'm not (laughs) about that. I am just really – I've reached a point where I – you know, I grew up hating my body. I started dieting at the age of 11. I dieted until I was 21. So after a decade of dieting and obsessing over food and over-exercising and under-eating, and then all of this led to binge eating. So then I couldn't stop eating. And then I'd hide food and I'd eat in secret. And I felt like such immense shame around food. I really got to a point at the end of this decade where I was like, this, this can't be it. I can't, I felt like I had really poor willpower. I thought that there was something wrong with me. Like it looked like everyone around me could eat really healthily and be consistent, but it felt like I was starting from scratch every Monday. Like I knew exactly what I should be eating, but I just couldn't seem to stick with it. And I think that this experience, what I what happened to me is such a common thing that happens to so many of us where we feel like, you know, why can't I just, you know, find the consistency and, and, and stick with something. So this is what I help people do these days. This is like everything I get excited about is just helping people um, not diet or restrict or obsess or, or not think about food all the time. All the work I do as um, a dietitian and nutritionist, whether it's via my app or my program or any of that stuff, it's about helping you just find a little bit more consistency so we're not yo-yo dieting. We're not worrying about our weights. We're just living a healthy, sweet life that makes us feel good um, without all the wellness wankery or the nutrition nonsense. 
I love the term wellness wankery. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Thank you. I was always like a bit scared to use it at first, but I'm like, you know what? It sums it up perfectly. <laughs> okay. So I want to talk to you about detoxing and detox products, which I know you feel very strongly about, <laughs> as do I. And I saw in an Instagram post, it was a little snippet of a little segment that you did in a morning show. And you summed it up in the caption saying, detox teas make you shit yourself and get dehydrated and feel sick. Can you chat to us about detox products and why this type of product should be a bit of a red flag in our mind? If we see it saying that it's a cleanse or a detox, why is that a red flag? I mean, am I allowed to swear? Is that allowed? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you're right. I feel quite passionately about this whole detox industry because basically it's profiting off our insecurity. Your lungs, your skin, your kidneys, your liver, they detox your body constantly. And we've gotten ourselves into a bit of a all or nothing approach when it comes to food, alcohol, and all the other stuff we have in our life. We have this idea of, okay, well, I will, I will just go and I'll eat all the stuff and I'll drink and whatever, and then I'll detox periodically. And that makes sense. Um, firstly, your body doesn't actually need to detox. Your body does it constantly for you. And what's a much healthier approach is actually if we simply, you know, made some small little tweaks so that we didn't feel like we needed to detox in the first place. And I know that's quite utopian to think, but I think people who peddle detox products they're basically riding off your insecurity they're right they're, they're basically encouraging you to go all or nothing every time you detox you think about that pendulum swinging from one extreme to the other and real health real health is about consistency it's about sitting somewhere in the sweet spot in the middle without the extremes without the needs to spend a week starving hating yourself stuck in bed um shitting yourself like you just don't need to put yourself through that. What we need to do instead is work out, well, why am I getting to a point where I feel like I need to detox? What can I do there to make a few little simple, sweet little changes? And they are small, sweet little changes. They're not the big stuff. I have this app called Back to Basics. And the reason I called it Back to Basics is because I think that we get so disorientated with, with what actually influences health. You know, I have people, they'll be like, oh, well, Lindy, what kind of brand of yogurt should I have? Or what do you think about this supplement? And yet the fundamental things that actually make you healthy aren't even on their radar. So like if I had to create a pyramid of health, at the very bottom of that pyramid, like the essential stuff, if you know, like the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, think of it like for health, the very bottom we would have sleep. It's like numero uno. If you're not getting enough sleep, your hormones are wacky. Your mood is wacky. You have no motivation. Yes, you're going to have higher cravings. Like we can try and tackle all those things like symptomatically, but fundamentally, we've got to focus on sleep. And so if you know people kind of go, well, well, let me change the brand of yogurt. And I'm going, it's a great <laughs> idea. And like, sure, why not? Let's try that. But like fundamentally let's focus on getting back to basics and the stuff that really matters and then it's like well, let's add in some enjoyable exercise because ex exercise has to be enjoyable if it, if it feels like punishment you're doing it wrong it had like <laughs> I think there's so much um confusion about exercise that you have to be in in the, the fat burn zone or you know the heart rate zone and all of those other nonsense things well, you, the only zone you need to be in is the enjoyment zone. The minute you lose the enjoyment zone, you're exercising in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. So if that means that instead of going for a run, you walk, 
then do it. If that means you go to a pump class and you don't actually use any weights, you simply do the workout without any weights and you stick within your enjoyment zone and you can actually walk the next day, then you're doing great. This is real health when you enjoy something because when you enjoy something, you are consistent at it. And that is what health is about. It's not about this pendulum swinging. I mean, I can build out this pyramid for you further, but I think you understand that what we need to do is focus more of our attention on the stuff that actually makes a difference instead of getting waylaid with the nitty gritty details that the wellness industry sell us. Um, And then that pendulum won't swing so far. And we can all just enjoy a little bit more consistency and a little bit more joy with being healthy. Yes, I love that so much. As a PT, my slogan is, if you're going to live it, you've got to love it. Because it breaks my heart when, especially young girls, and I did it as well, use exercise as a form of punishment or a vehicle to get you to a place where you are suddenly beautiful and suddenly enough. When, if that is the case, it's just never going to work. So I think enjoyment is Mm. absolute key. Mm. And especially if you're coming from either an eating disorder or you're coming from you know, a really unhealthy relationship with exercise where you have been using it to try and look a certain way, there needs to be a bit of a recalibration period where you like stop and go, well, do I actually enjoy this? And maybe you do need to lay off that hardcore exercise for a while and just sit in the, like, the gentle exercise space to really relearn that exercise isn't about burning calories. It's not about looking a certain way. And then what you might find is that that high-intensity exercise becomes enjoyable again you start to crave it in a way it really becomes a choice um whereas before it always felt like I really don't feel like doing that um if you have that sensation when it comes to exercise like I don't feel like doing it then that's really a good indication that maybe you need to reassess some things when it comes to exercise um because you know I exercise every day and it's always enjoyable it's always nice I always want to do it I've never I, I and I used to abuse exercise Um, And I think that's a really nice place to be at, but it can take a bit of work. Mm, Completely agree. I want to talk a little bit about body image with you for a moment because I know that's something else that you're really passionate about. Conducted a little social experiment. You asked a bunch of strangers to Photoshop your images and all of them made you slimmer or removed your birthmark. And you said in the post, my stomach rolls are not the problem. Our culture's obsession with the thin ideal on Photoshop is. And I felt like that was so, that just hit the point completely and was so great. How do you think we as a society can start to free ourselves from this obsession with Photoshop and the thin ideal. What measures or rules or regulations do you think we need in regard to Photoshop? Such a good question. I think, I mean, can you imagine if on every image that was Photoshopped, there needed to be some kind of disclaimer that was like, this image has been manipulated to sell certain beauty ideals? Would that change how you saw that image? Because I have a really strict no Photoshop policy. In fact, I don't even use filters on my stuff because even using a filter, like <laughs> I think I think that makes life look better than it really is. Imagine if every piece of content you saw that was edited or filtered came with that disclaimer. Basically your entire newsfeed, every single magazine you ever look at, would 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 have to have that disclaimer. And I think it would impact how you saw yourself. Um, when you see people in real life, people have pores. We have, you know, rolls and cellulite and real stuff that happens and, and like hairs that grow out of the weird places. And you're like, why are you there? I have no idea. 
like bodies are pretty weird. And then when you see them online, it's this curated stuff. And we know it's curated, but that doesn't help it. That doesn't stop us from feeling really crappy about ourselves, does it? Mm. So a lot of what I do on, on Instagram is just trying to, you know, show that Instagram next to the reality um, because everyone's kind of world is really messed up at the moment. Social media is a problem. I have moral dilemmas about the fact that I basically, I do my work on social media and yet it's the very thing that I think makes us feel really bad about ourselves. Um, and I think if we were really good, we'd create much better feeds. One of the things I've noticed is I do like, I I enjoy fashion, um, and style and a lot of the accounts where I follow, you know, certain fashion labels, the models they use, the images they use of the, the influencers who wear their clothes, it so builds into the idea of not enoughness and how like how can you be engaged in the fashion industry and not feel a bit crappy about yourself and not feel like you're not, you know, looking a certain way. Um, and then even the health world, how can you engage in like health content and not feel like you need to look a certain way in order to be healthy? I actually don't have an answer for you, except to say that we can take some control over our feed. You've heard it before. You know it. But keep unfollowing those people who make you feel like crap. Um, Every so often, just reassess. Go, is this actually helping me be healthier? I think sometimes we think fitspo um, motivates us, but I don't think it does in the long term. I think it fundamentally makes us feel bad about ourselves. And when you feel bad about yourself, you're you're either driven to do extreme stuff that isn't healthy for you, that swings that pendulum, um, or you end up doing nothing at all because you feel really deeply overwhelmed. I mean, we're, we've got a lot of work to do when it comes to body image. Not only, like, like if you think about the previous generation, they were the waif generation, like a Kate Moss generation, um, where you just had to be mm. just, you had to be really slim. And this current generation, you have to be slim, but then you also have to have plastic surgery pretty much to match the proportions of what we're currently told is the beauty ideal and it's so messed up and so and and if you keep following people on social media who promote plastic surgery and looking a certain way I can't help but think that you become like that it used to be that you become like the people you spend the most time with but now I'm pretty convinced that it's you become the people who you follow online so just be really careful about who you follow Mm, I've I've never heard someone say that but that makes so much sense hearing you say it because you're on stories constantly, like you're flicking through the feed. Obviously, back in the day, we didn't have that. So it was the people who you spent actual time with. But now we're so in our phones that that we're probably morphing into people who we follow, which is a scary thought. Yeah. So if your feed is full of like vapid people who just care about how they look, <laughs> just be careful of that. <laughs> mm. So I know that you said unfollowing is obviously probably the best technique, but do you have any other advice for girls who are really struggling with their body image because of comparison and unrealistic ideals? Yeah, I mean, you are, there are going to be days where you don't like your body. And I think that's that's sad, but it's a reality. When you live in a world that's constantly telling you that you need to look prettier, weigh less, you are going to have those days. There are going to be days, take a selfie and you like how you look, but then like the next moment you walk past a shop's front and you see your reflection in the window or something and you're like, ugh, is that what I look like? Or you do take a really bad photo of yourself and you just feel really crappy about yourself or you try on something and it just looks, nothing works and it looks shitty. Those days are going to happen and you can either allow that to push you into, you know, extremes and go, all right, I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to just change my entire life and just all I have to do right now is lose weight 
or you can accept that bad body image days are just a part of living in this society and that it's not your responsibility to look perfect from every angle. It is actually not your purpose in life to look beautiful all the time, to be this perfect weight. Once you can kind of accept that your life is so much bigger than looking perfect all the time, then I think you can move forward. But if you expect that your role in life is just to look perfect, I think it's really scary. One of the things that I think is really important to notice is (laughs) some of the world's most beautiful slimmest, most perfect-bodied humans are the most insecure. Um, There is a a YouTube video posted by Vogue talking about models, talking about body image, and they talk about how they never feel like they are the right weight. And it's even worse for them than it is for, you know, normal people like us. So I don't think you ever really reach a point where you feel just comfy in your body Um, and perfect and okay and like you've reached the goal so accepting that when those bad body image days come that you've actually got the resilience you've got the the tools that you're not going to let it destroy your life and take you down a rabbit hole where you know all you can think about is food and calories Um, because I think that's a that's a hard life when your headspace when every single thought revolves around food when you lie in bed at night feeling guilty for what you've eaten when you see other people and you feel envy about the way that they look, I think that's really tough and I I don't want that for anyone. Um, So when you notice that you can feel that pull back towards that direction, just make the the choice to realize that that's not your purpose in life. Uh, There is this awesome book called Beyond Beautiful by Anushka Rees, um, R-E-E-S, And it's really great. So if you do feel like you'd like a little bit more support in that area, and I think it's worthwhile doing the work in that area, then then go go there. Um, Can I just touch on something else? Is this idea of our mum's relationship with food and their bodies and us. And I think some people get really lucky in that their mums have a really healthy relationship with food and body. And then majority of people, they don't have that relation. They don't have that experience. Their mums are the ones who told them what they should or shouldn't be eating and, um, you know, made them feel a certain way about their body. And sometimes people have an experience where their parents are constantly telling them that they are the wrong weight or should you really be eating that? Or maybe it's not a parent, but it's a grandparent or an an aunt or, you know, a partner. Um, And I think we have to realize that it's your your mum doesn't have to approve of your body for it to be okay. And I think what we've been doing for generations is passing down eating disorder advice and poor body image and thinking it's normal to tell people that, oh, should you really be eating that? Um, it's not okay behavior. And I think until, unless our generation's like, no, I don't want to deal with this. This isn't like, I, I don't have to spend the rest of my life hating my body. Unless we are the ones who, are, who make that stand. I think we'll just keep passing it down from, to the next generation. And I find that really sad. So if you have someone in your life who is trying to control what you look like or tell you that you're not good enough, they are the problem here. It's not your body that needs fixing. It's, it's the fact that they think that it's okay to say those kinds of things because it's, it's really, really not. Mm. That really leads well into my next question, actually. You're about to have a baby and it's obviously, like you just said, our parents' relationship with food is passed down to us. We don't we don't see outside until we're, we become our own humans. So 
what kind of things are you conscious of when, you know, raising a child or if somebody else is thinking, my goodness, what am I passing on to my child or who do have kids or don't have kids yet? What things do you need to think about when raising a child and making sure that they have a positive or trying your best to help them have a positive relationship with food? So I think fundamentally the most important thing you can do to raise a kid who is really sure of themselves, who feels good in their body, who has a healthy relationship with food and exercise, the most important thing you can do is to have a healthy relationship with the exercise and food yourself. And most of us don't. Very rarely do I meet someone, I call them unicorns, someone who just is like a normal relationship with food. They they eat until they feel full. Food is like not a big deal in their lives. They exercise for enjoyment. It's intuitive. They never had to work for it. Those people, I meet one a year. (laughs) I speak to a lot of people about food, okay? (laughs) So most of us, this is something that we need to work at to try and and become our own unicorns. Um, When your kid is around you, they are so sponge-like. They are listening. They're noticing, you know, those moments where you're criticizing yourself, even if you're not saying it out loud. They're noticing how much you're eating and what you're eating and and, and why you make certain food choices. So I think that's the most important thing you can do. So I think, uh, uh, you know, back to this whole, like, our parents commenting on our bodies, I think um, so often it comes from them having a really disordered relationship with, with food and their bodies and, and them basically projecting that onto us. And really it's, it's, it's their issue that they never really dealt with, that they're just trying to pass on to us. What we can do is to decide that we're not going to, to let that happen. So that's number one, you know, really tightly tied into all this is the idea of language around food. I mean, I can't tell you, I, once again, I rarely meet people who use, you know, a very healthy relationship around food. So not referring to things as good or bad or treat or whatever. It's, it's really just, there is a time and a place for all kinds of foods. We know this. Um, and kids will really pick up on that. Even something like, you know, rewarding kids with food. It's so tricky. I don't know how I'm going to navigate this. Maybe we need to have this conversation in five years <laughs> once I have had a kid. And because and, I don't think it's I don't think it's as simple as well. Don't treat your kids with food. I think it's a bit more complicated. But number one thing, get yourself sorted with food. And you don't have to be perfect yet. Like let's say you've already got little kids and you're like, crap, I'm definitely not at a point where I feel good in my body or feel like comfy around food. That's fine. Just do the work. Start working toward it now because your kids, even by the time they reach, they become teenagers, it's really important that you have that healthy relationship with food. So you're going to get there. And you're going to be a great parent and your, your kids are going to be lucky to have you. Well, I would love to have you on in five years as well. If you, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, I'd love to talk about the concept body neutral and why you strive for this rather than striving to love every single angle, every single part of your body, every single day. It's a lot of pressure to love your body. I think that we need to find a point where our body is simply respected. So you might not wake up in the morning and go, I love how I look, but I'm going to be damned if I'm going to disrespect my body today by not, you know, showing it some self-care and respect. Um, and, and what are the ways, what are the ways that we disrespect our body? So it could be under eating um, or punishing ourselves with exercise or um, forcing ourselves to do a whole lot of stuff that um, is, you know, using detox products that give us, you know, excessive diarrhea for days on end and thinking that this is in somehow like a, a good thing. This is very disordered stuff that we're doing. It's disrespecting our body. Um, and I think when we 
when we put the pressure on ourselves that we have to love how we look, well, I don't think that's achievable for anyone. I've never met anyone who wakes up every single day and is like, I love my body. No, there are days where you're going to love how you look. There are going to be days where you are just like, "Mm, this is just the body I have. There'll be days where you hate how you look. And body neutrality is about going, okay, well, how do I choose to respect my body even on the days where I don't think it looks aesthetically beautiful? Really just appreciating that your body is more than just like how it looks, even though our society is pretty obsessed with how bodies look. One question before our last segment, you made a YouTube video about your career within the nutrition industry. And I've realized in the industry, I think it's quite tricky to navigate. As I said at the beginning, I think that it can be quite a toxic industry. So if you could pass just one piece of advice onto those who are just starting out, what would that be? Such a good question. Um, I got into, I decided to become a dietitian and nutritionist for all the wrong reasons. I grew up, as I said, hating my body having an eating disorder. And so there was a part of me that was like, oh, I have the perfect profession for myself. I am going to become a dietitian nutritionist so that I always have to be the right weight, so that I know all the information needed so I can control how I look. And I got into it for my my eating disorder got me into this profession. My obsession with food got me into this profession. And I think I'd be lying if I didn't think that, I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we didn't think that for many of us, we perhaps have an element of that going on. And, you know, one of the reasons that we got into this industry could be that we became unhealthily obsessed with it. And I think the best health, the best advice, the best career advice I have for you is to really get yourself a healthy relationship with food and exercise. Because when you do, you actually are able to help clients so much more Um, I think you're either part of the problem and you're perpetuating the issues around food and you're giving people eating disorders, which a lot of people do, um, or you're actually helping people. So often a person will come to me and go, I really want you to give me a diet and just, you know, help me get here in like 10 weeks. And I can't do it. I can't, I can't sell them another approach that doesn't work. I won't regurgitate meal plans. I won't use before and after photos. Because I know that fundamentally, while it might help someone lose weight temporarily, it's only going to lead to more yo-yo dieting and less health overall. So I think we fundamentally need to be healthy practitioners and that we're going to be really good practitioners because we have empathy for what someone is going through. We can really see them where they are. Um, so yeah, I think that's really, really important. I love that so much and I think that I'm very, very new in my career and I definitely, like you said, I think so many of us started because we didn't have the best relationship with food and I think that my relationship with exercise and food is only improving still now. It's definitely not perfect but I think one of the big struggles for me is that I work with a lot of women who um, have had kids, so that kind of age and upwards and a lot of the time they come to me and they do say, this is what I want, I want to lose weight can you help me do this? Can you help me do that? So Mm. how would you navigate that type of conversation? It's it's such a good question. And I think there is a way to elegantly handle it because someone who's coming to you, let's say you've had kids, um, you're probably, you know, you've, you've had a bit of experience with dieting before. And I think if you just sat with them and asked them a few questions about their history, they'd probably come up with the right, the right answer. So a lot of what we do as practitioners, we we're just, you know, you have stages of change. We're help, We're simply helping someone get to that next stage of change. 
So a question might be, all right, so tell me about your weight, you know, what's happened to your weight in the past? Start from when you were really young. Tell me about your relationship with food. And chances are they have spent many, many years stuck in some kind of yo-yo dieting relationship with food where they have gained weight and they've lost weight and they've gained weight and they've lost weight and and everyone can lose weight. Diets are really effective. Diets work really, really well. The fundamental problem with diets is that you can't sustain them. So you could say to them, you know what, I could give you a meal plan. I could help you lose weight. But statistically, only 4% of people are ever going to keep that weight off. And let's look at your history. Have you ever get lost the weight and, and kept it off successfully by going on a diet? And then they'll be like, yeah, well, you know, this one time I did lose this weight, but then I, you know, I guess I did regain the weight. And you go, yeah, exactly. So what we want to do here is different. So I'm not going to put you through what you've been through before, waste your time, waste your money, waste your energy. We have to do this slowly. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus on your health. And many people who focus on their health, they may lose weight as a result of it. And if you do, that's great. But it's going to be something that's so much more easy. It's going to be so much easier for you to maintain. And you're going to feel so much better in your body. I think fundamentally, this is the thing where we, what we really need to like help people understand is that what you do when you, when you lead a healthy life is you feel good in your body. That's all people want. They want to feel comfortable in their skin. They want to feel comfortable and, and confident. And everything we do will help them do that. Um, and so in a way, I think we can kind of help them come to the realization that um, this is this is going to be a bit more of a sustainable approach. And not everyone's going to be ready for it. Some people are going to be like, nah, give me the give me the 12 week body challenge, you know, and they'll, they'll go off and you might see them a few years later and they're ready. Um, you can't force a, a client to be ready. And I think it's right. Some, some patients, the clients, they're just, they're not ready for a new way of thinking around food. They want to stay dieting. They want to stay in that cycle. From my experience, it does take people quite a few years before they reach a point where they're like, you know what? I have tried this. I've tried it so many times before. I do know it doesn't work for me. Um, I'm ready for something different. And then when they're ready for you, they might come back or they'll find someone else. It's not perfect. (laughs) I love that. And I think that's going to be so helpful to so many people who are starting out, whether it's a PT or a nutritionist or a dietitian. I think that's a really, really important thing that we don't necessarily learn at university. So thank you for sharing that. Pleasure. I will just add one more thing. I think so often as, you know, PTs, nutritionists, dietitians, we're always trying to tell the patient or client what they need or trying to like give them like problem solve for them. Your client or patient, they know the answer. They fully know the answer. They can problem solve for themselves. And when we facilitate them to come up with the own solution to their problem, they're so much more likely to stick to it. So someone might say to you, all right, well, you know, like I can't stop eating chocolate at night and I just like don't even know what to do about it. And all you have to do then is ask them more questions. Okay, well, where, where are you eating the chocolate? How is this? Um, where are you getting the chocolate from? What kind of chocolate are you eating? Okay, just explore that with them. Let them answer the questions. And they might say something like, okay, well, you know, when I go to the shops, I, I am buying a lot of chocolate um, and it's because of this reason. Um, or when my husband goes to the shop, he goes and he'll buy all this stuff and then it's in the house and then I'm just, you know, doing it. And then you ask the question, well, all right, well, what do you think you could do about that? And then they come up with the own, their own solution. This is fundamentally the work we do. We do not tell people what to do. 
the biggest thing that you can do or the best thing you can do as a practitioner is simply ask the right questions at the right time to get the person to come up with their own solutions. And in a way, we're simply just like holding your hands to make healthier choices. Um, in the beginning, I used to like ram ideas down people's throats and be like, you could do this, you could do this. How about this idea? And then they'd like come back the next session. I'm like, oh, I changed the brand of yogurt you suggested. And I did nothing else. <laughs> um so that's that's my best piece of advice actually I think that's so important I actually did a wellness coaching course uh, just to help me with what I already had and that was the fundamental thing behind that was you I think it's called is it motivational interviewing I forget yeah motivational interviewing and patient it's a patient-led approach mm, exactly because I think it's so and I looked back on things that I had taken on in terms of advice and it was when I was able to arrive at that destination myself without somebody behind me pushing me along thinking yep this is a solution get there get there (laughs) exactly I mean it's really sad that we don't do more psychology (laughs) and counseling skills as part of our work because fundamentally that's the work we do Mm, exactly Lindy I have so enjoyed talking to you I have a one last segment which is just four quick cues so it'll be this or that and just whatever comes to your mind first all right, let's do it. Berries or bananas? Bananas. TV series or movie? Neither. <laughs> Books. <laughs> oh, nice. Love that. Pasta or pizza? Uh, pasta. And your fave day of the week? Friday. Love it. Lindy, thank you so, so much for joining us. I am just so excited to get this episode live because I think that whenever you speak, a lot of value comes out. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. and Thanks, everyone, for listening. And that marks the end of another amazing interview on the Real Health Podcast. I so hope you enjoyed me chatting with Lindy. I certainly did. If you'd like to hear or see more from me, please follow the Instagram for the podcast, which is at Real Health Podcast. I also have my business, which is at Ebony May Health. And until the next episode, I wish you happiness and real health.